this church uh, have this ministry where we can actually put Bibles together and get them into the hands of people who want to hear what does God say? What is, what is this message? What is, who is this God? And uh, man, if there's a ministry you ought to be involved in, that's it. Um, in any way, shape, or form that you can. Uh, it's a great ministry, and uh, call, there's usually something to be done in that ministry also. So turn over to Acts chapter 20, if you would. Um, we're going to, uh, you know me, if, if uh, you've uh, heard me teach or, or preach, I like, to, I like to, in either of those modes, uh, talk with you. And, uh, and, and you probably know I like to get some response, too, sometimes, even from the folks way back in the cheap seats back there, you know, stuff like that. I, I like to have that interaction. And, and tonight, I want to talk to you out of Acts chapter 20, but we're going we're gonna to look at several other places. Um, but I want to lay a little groundwork. Uh, you know, we are a Bible-believing teaching church that has an emphasis on uh, winning people to Christ, evangelism, and discipling people, building them up, uh, teaching them the Word of God, and getting them into ministry. And, and I want to show you a unique place in the book of Acts and take a look at it here and examine it in light of where we're at and what we need to do. You know, everybody yesterday and probably for the next week or two uh, apparently is going to be concerned about who is going to sit you know behind the resolute desk in the white house but you know what the good news is i know who still sits on the throne in heaven and who's on the throne of my heart and that's the lord jesus christ god himself regardless of anybody else anywhere else that's all that's all that really matters and, and the thing that fills us with fear sometimes is, yes, change, but also because, you know, you might say, well, if this person gets elected, this will happen. If this person gets elected, something else will happen. But you know what? There's really only one thing, well, a few things, but as a church, there's only a few things that I really need to be concerned with. Now, I'm not saying don't vote your conscience. You absolutely should. In fact, we're, we're commanded to do so. But I'm going to remind you that God puts people into these offices for his purposes, okay? Now, me, I, I bleed red, white, and blue, okay? I get a scratch, and people go, oh, what is that? What is that? I say, it's red, white, and blue. That's what it is. But I'm just here to tell you, God does not, okay? God loves people. He died for all sinners. And he puts people in according to his plan and purpose, and, you know, if, if you've uh, been around the Word of God very long, and, and a lot of us have, then you know that we're at the end of an age, and it won't be long until that trumpet sounds, and we get caught up with him, and, and then, it, then it really gets crazy, right? But thank God we're not here for that. Now, in the meantime, we're here to get some things done, and that's a part of why we fellowship together. Yes, for fellowship to encourage each other and spend time together and build up but also because the church has a purpose, right? And, and what's the one thing every single one of us should be doing all the time? Praying, okay, that's good. Reading, absolutely. Sharing the gospel, amen. 
These are all things. Now, when we talk about uh, praying and reading, I would put that into uh, under a, a certain term that, that I'll share with you here in a second that you know. Um, sharing the gospel is another thing. That's evangelism, right? Sharing the gospel. Now, what's the best way in the world to do that? Anybody? Say again? Chase people down. Is that what you said? <laughs> My old ears take a, about a second or two to replay. Uh, and I got, I was like, I like that. Uh, in my youth, I've, I did some of that, and it's, it's, it's not very effective, I'll just say that. But you know, you can chase people down on your knees. The best fit, way to chase somebody down is on your knees before the throne of God, pleading and praying for, the, for those people. So I like that, and that's, and that's absolutely right. The best way to run is on your knees. I mean, I'll be honest, if it wasn't for my family being on their knees, I wouldn't be here tonight. I mean, that's directly responsive, responsible or a direct result of them praying for me, running me down, and I was running hard to get away. Hard, hard. I was faster than all of them, too. But I'm not faster than God, see? It's, it's like in police work, okay? I used to work with law enforcement when I was young and, and help training and doing things. You know what I found out? You, can, you might have the fastest car and be able to outrun the police. But you know what you can't outrun? A radio. A radio and a helicopter, you are not going to get away. And it's kind of like that when it comes to this. Man, you know, you can run from God all you want. But if there are people that are praying for you and are bathing you in prayer, you cannot run fast enough or far enough. Because all you got is this earth. And that's it. You can't get, you say, well, it's the whole earth. But that's nothing for God. You know, he's better than Santa Claus, right? He sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake. I got news for you. God knows what Santa Claus is up to, okay? There is no place to run and hide when people are on their knees chasing you down. I'm going to steal that now, brother. I like that. The more, I, the more I'm, I'm hearing it. The key to all this is, is can be wrapped up in one word. And, and uh, keep your finger here, but come back to uh, Genesis chapter 20, 22, actually. You probably know what I'm going to talk about here now all of a sudden. Right? And what's interesting here now, um, I just went through um, earlier this year, uh, study on... And, and we uh, taught, which we do uh, as a matter of course at, at, in this church, and that is how to study the Bible uh, using the principles of Bible study, okay? We have how to study the Bible in some other areas, too, but uh, using uh, some principles. One of them is the, uh, the principle of first mention, and in this chapter, you actually find something that is mentioned for the first time, and of course, this is the story of when Abraham who has been, you know, he's old, he's over 100 years old, and God has given him a son, right? Remember that whole thing, and he's waiting. Now he's got this son. And um, now God tells Abraham, hey, uh, look at verse 2. Take now thine son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. That's 
We all know that story. It's a great story. But if you're a parent and you're reading that story, it grips your heart, right? I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. Could I do that? Could I be obedient like that? And we know the story. He rises up and um, him and his son and, and, uh, and a couple of folks, uh, young men that, that uh, are, work for him, go. And, and on the third day, verse 4, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now, you ought to mark that because that's the first place in your Bible where you see the word worship. Worship. And worship is, is kind of important, right? You need to worship God and, and not all the other things that we worship. Say, well, I don't worship other things. Well, what's worship? Somebody tell me. A couple of things have already been mentioned, actually. What's worship? Sacrifice, okay. In the Old Testament, you saw them sacrificing animals. Uh, we sacrifice time, talent, and treasure, right? What else? Okay, idolizing, that's a huge one. The things that we set up as idols, and you say, well, I don't have any idols. Sure you do, man. They might be the posters on your wall, especially if you're young folks, uh, or maybe you're older, and so, you know, now I'm mature. I don't have pictures of Raquel Welch in one million years B.C., you know, like some of us did way back when. Or I don't have pictures of this rock star or this celebrity or whatnot. But we all have idols, things that we set up in our heart, that uh, we put between us and God. I don't know what yours are. I know what some of mine are. And, and I got to work to get rid of them, and so do you. Okay? Idols. That is, idolization, that is huge. Get those things out. Getting rid of those, yeah, that's a part of worship. What else? Somebody said a couple of them earlier. Prayer, right? Reading your Bible. That's worship. You're sacrificing some of your time. You're uh, doing what, what another word for, for uh, worship is obeisance. In other words, you are taking the time to honor God by obeying him, which is interesting because he tells us, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, right? So sacrifice is a part of worship, um, but the best part of worship is our obedience in any way, shape, or form. And that starts with the things he told us to do, Right? And when you and I are doing that, that's called worshiping, all right? Now, a lot of times, in some churches, when people get up and say, hey, okay, let's all worship together, everybody stand up, we're going to sing song so-and-so. Is that worship? Nobody's afraid to answer, huh? Singing is not worship. You know what it is? It's singing, right? But... You should be worshiping when you're singing. See the difference? If you're worshiping correctly, which has to do where, where your heart and mind are, okay, then everything you do can be worshiping God. Because worship has to do with service, uh, the attitude of your heart. The Bible says, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Well, guess what I know about my mind? How does it think? Bad. That's, that, that covers it. Bad. My mind always wants to think about 
the things of the world, the things of the flesh, the things of the devil. It, it's, it, the Bible tells us the flesh is always at enmity with the spirit, and the spirit's always at enmity with the flesh. What's that mean? It means they're enemies. Always, all the time. No matter what. That's it, the carnal mind. See, and here's the thing. If, if this mind isn't brought into subjection under the things of Christ, as the Bible says, then I'm, I'm in trouble. So well, how do you do that, Mark? Well, that's what we have this for, this Bible. It tells me where to put my mind, where to put my emotions, where to put my heart and my passions, my time, my talent, my treasure. Um, you know, a lot of times in Christianity, you know, you hear guys, you're like, hey, let's not be so emotional, you know. That's like that. There's nothing wrong with being emotional, okay? The problem is when you don't put those emotions in the proper place where the Bible tells you to put them, okay? Crying over, I don't I used to say some soap opera. I can't really say it anymore because every now and then all of a sudden I'm like, something hits me. You know, you get older, it doesn't take much, right? Because you have more life experience and, it, and all of a sudden something happens and all of a sudden I'm thinking about uh, my best friend that gave his life, saving a kid as a police officer. And it's like, oh, it's like, now ladies, I hope this never happened to you, but guys, you know, you ever been gut punched? You know that, that feeling? Yeah, it's like that. But instead of your gut, it's right here, but it does that same effect, and it just, oh, hurts. Hurts worse than the physical punch. Those things happen. Hey, guess what? If my mind, right here, Philippians 3, right? Or two, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, if I'm working on putting this mind into this mind, and that means not just putting them side by side, okay? Because then one wants to go this way and one wants to go that way. You know what that is? When you have two up here, instead of one, it's two. What is it? Double-minded. Double-minded. When he talks about being double-minded in the Bible, a lot of times as Christians, we're thinking about lost people. And I got news for you. Lost people are not double-minded. They're single-minded. <laughs> the, the, the things of the world. Because they don't have this mind in them. All right? The Lord Jesus Christ. Lost people can't be double-minded. They might be schizophrenic or whatever, but I know plenty of Christians like that. So that's, <laughs> let's not even go there tonight. But the true double-mindedness comes from trying to put God's word in with my old mind. That does not work. I have to take his mind and replace my mind with his mind. You get the difference? It's a biggie. Because you, and this is why sometimes we get into times in our lives where we're just we're frustrated because we're like, man, I'm, I'm trying, I'm doing this. And then the problem is, we're trying to keep both of those things, and you can't. One of those is going to have, one of those is going to be in control, all right? But when you replace this mind with his mind, well, now that, that problem starts to become less and less. Not that things won't come up. They're going to. But when you put them under the things of, okay, what does the Word of God say about that? What does God think about that? How does he feel about it? Man, you can immediately put that thought where it belongs. You can immediately put those emotions where they belong, okay? Um, it, it's okay to, to be emotional. It's okay to uh, 
be passionate. In fact, I think sometimes in Christianity, uh, we need to be a little more passionate. We need to have a, a few more emotions. And I don't mean out of control. I just mean we need to feel it, you know. Like, when I was younger, uh, I not only won a lot of Catholic folks to Christ, but over the years met a lot and worked with a lot of, of uh, Christians who had been raised Catholic. You know what I love about people who have been Catholic and get saved? They know what going after the Lord is all about because that's what they've been doing, trying to work their way the whole time, and then they get saved. And they're, they're like, oh, my gosh, this is what I've been trying to get to and didn't realize it. And you know what they want to do? They want to go serve him any way they can because they know what serving is like. They know what service is all about. That's what they've been doing. And they're not afraid to spend their time, their talent, their treasure pursuing God. Too many of God's people that won't do that. That's called worship, by the way. Again, all singing is not worshiping, but you should always be worshiping when you're singing or working or praying or reading your Bible. You know how many times I've been reading my Bible and all of a sudden I realize, oh my gosh, I didn't even go to prayer before I got in my Bible. That, that lets me know right away. I'm, I'm just in here trying to get my Proverbs out of the way, or my three chapters out of the way, or five, or whatever I'm reading right then. I'm just trying to check that off. Instead of my desire is to have an intimate time with the Lord Jesus Christ and learn more about the one who loves me and gave himself for me. And I didn't even spend the time to ask him to show me what he had for me. I just barged in and started taking things. Now, you guys probably don't ever do that, but I do. And it's not good. So when you see back here in Genesis 22, you see Abraham going up. Now, you know he's got to be heartbroken, right? But he's not, only, he's not willing to sacrifice just because, well, I got to sacrifice. He's willing to sacrifice because he understood obedience was the key. And I'll show you how you know that. I, I flipped away from here, but... Um, if you look in here, you see that he is confident in God. He doesn't understand what's going on. He doesn't understand why he'd be asked to do this, but he knows it's a, a, a important to obey better than sacrifice. That is true worship. Now, here's what's interesting. Right there in, in verse 5, where we see that word worship for the first time, I want you to notice that again. Read it again. If you were in my principles of Bible study, remember I said, before you ask what a verse means, what do you ask? What does it say? What does this verse say? It says, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder up on the mountain and worship and come again to you. He said, Hey, we're going to go up here, but we're coming back. He didn't understand how. He didn't know what was going on. But he says, I'm coming back. We, we are coming back. We're going to come back again. Okay? Because he knew, my job is to obey. My job is not to understand everything that God is doing until God actually explains it to me. So then what does he do? He goes up there. He provides the ram caught in the thicket. God's had waiting for him. 
because he obeyed. See, a lot of times our obedience is dependent on our understanding. That's one of my big problems. Lord, I'm ready to obey. Just explain it to me, what's going on, so I can obey better. It's like, no, no, it doesn't work like that, see? Just obey. And when you obey, then I can explain some things to you. And you know, I used to tell my kids, I say, okay, I want you to do this or that. And they'd say, why? So well, I'll tell you what, when you've done what I asked you to do and come back, then you've earned the right to hear the explanation of why I had you do that. Okay. Trying to teach them obedience. Obedience. Now, the book of Acts, put back over there if you want. Why am I talking about that? Because um, as a Bible-believing church that wants to win people to Christ, that then does disciple them and teach them the Bible and give them opportunity to be a part of um, the work of the church and to be a part of ministry, uh, again, in obedience to God's uh, plan for God's will for our lives, being more conformed to him. So in order to do that, there's, there's just some basic things to understand. And the reason I want to come to Acts is because it's very Remember the book of Acts? If you've been in classes with me uh, where we've talked about this, the book of Acts in your Bible, um, we, we tend to think, even though we know, that the Bible is not in chronological order of when it was written. The Holy Spirit of God put it together this way, Jesus himself verifying uh, that pattern in, in, in the order. The book of Acts, because it comes after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we think, okay, things that happen in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John happen, and then the book of Acts happened, and then the things in the book of Romans and 1 Corinthians and so forth. And that's not true. The book of Acts is kind of like a canvas that after the Gospels, okay, after that happened, after the death, burial, and resurrection, you see there in chapter 1 of, of, of Acts where, where the Lord, after his resurrection and four years later, boom, he ascends and he gives them instructions, right? There in chapter 1. The rest of the book of Acts that we read is a canvas that most of the rest of the New Testament takes place on. For instance, the book of Philippians. Remember the book of Acts where he talks about Going down, there's a prayer house there, and there's Lydia, the seller of purple, and the Philippian jailer. Remember them? Okay. That we read about in the book of Acts, right? But Philippians is several books later. Does that make sense? That actually happened there around chapter 13, 14, I believe. So all, all, most of your New Testament after the Gospels happens within the book of Acts, here, 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 here. And most of it has to do with Jews. And in particular, the reason for that is because, that the, and we're not going to study this tonight, but I think some of you understand this, when, when Christ came, the, the Jews had the opportunity to accept him as their Messiah, right? And they rejected him, right? And they gave him another chance. And they rejected him. And finally, in Acts chapter 7, they get their last chance. They rejected him. Okay? So, what does God do? God, who, again, knows everything, 
And, and unlike a lot of our uh, uh, Calvinistic brothers and sisters, God doesn't have to make things happen to know they're going to happen. He is more sovereign than that. He knows what's going to happen because he is God, all right? And as God, not only knowing all those things, he's able to make provision for all of it, every second of it. That's why time to him is just, and it happens, it's all right there, kind of as a portrait. In the book of Acts, notice it starts out with Peter, James and John, Peter in particular, and the Jews, and they're going to the Jews, and, and then Paul in Acts chapter 9, his conversion, right, on the road to Damascus, on his way to kill some more of these heretics who are polluting the nation of Israel, which was the commandment from the Old Testament, by the way. A lot of times people say, oh, God, you know, Paul was so terrible and hated God so much. He was doing this terrible thing that God had to come down and meet him on the road to Damascus and turn him into this great Christian. That does not make sense if you really think about it. He doesn't look at the, the guy who's doing something really bad and say, okay, I got to make him be the guy. Who's, he, God doesn't do that. Paul, Saul at the time, his heart was in the right place. His motive. Mark, how do you say that? Because the Old Testament told him and commanded him, hey, when there is sin going on, when there is heresy going on in the nation of Israel, you drive it out. You kill it. Remember the, 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 when Joshua and, and the nation of Israel came into the promised land and they were supposed to drive it all out? Did they drive everything out? No, they left some stuff in there. They weren't supposed to. Paul, when he was still Saul before he was renamed, he is obeying what God told him to do. His heart was in the right place. His motive was in the right place. But remember, it, it takes more than just right motive and right heart, right? It takes right action. You got to have right motive and right action. If, if either one of those is out of whack, then you got problems, like here with Paul. Got the right motive, got the right heart. His heart is... He loves God. He loves the things of God so much that he is really the only one who is willing not to go behind the scenes like the Pharisees and try to manipulate and lie and cheat and pay off people like Judas. No, he is out there in the front saying, no, I'm going to drive this out because it's wrong. Bam, you know what God does? That's why he says, hey, Paul, Paul, is it hard to kick against the pricks? Do you understand what you're doing? No, he didn't. So God, because what does God look at? Does he look at anything other than the heart? God sees the heart, right? Not only does he see the heart of everybody else and that we can't, but he sees your heart and understands it better than you because you can't. You know, the Bible says that in Proverbs that, that the man who goes to, to discover his heart is a fool because you can't. How are you going to understand something that is a sin problem. How are you going to understand that sin problem with a sinful mind? That's, that's never going to work. That's like, okay, corruption, incorruption coming out of corruption. Can that happen? No. So we have to go to him. God, looking at Paul, said, okay, it's time to go down and meet him on the road to Damascus while he's there. 
And if you notice back there in Acts chapter 9, when he meets the Lord, I should say the Lord meets him and comes down and, and meets with him, okay, he tells him things. You notice that Paul not one time questions it or says, why? Well, I'm not going to do that. He just does it. Obedience. Because that's what he was doing in the first place. He was being obedient to what he knew. He just didn't know everything he thought he knew. I don't know about you guys. I found myself in that position a few times. Where I, really, I, I thought I knew it all, and I didn't. <laughs> Again, you guys probably aren't like me, but me, I, I ask God nowadays, Lord, show me what I don't know. Because the older I've gotten, the more I realize there's a lot more I don't know than what I do know. I thought as I got older, I knew more and more, and now I know more than other people. And what I found out is, no, I just, now I understand I don't know hardly anything. I know this much, and God knows more than I can get my hands or this building around. Amen? So why am I talking about all this? Because in this whole thing, here's, here's Peter and then Paul. Paul, every time he goes out, where does he go first? No matter where he goes, where does he go? Anybody? Where does he go? Who does he go talk to first about the Lord? Yeah, the synagogue. He goes to the Jews. He goes to the house of Israel. He goes there and he's talked to them. So here are the Jews. By the, by the end of the book of Acts, everything has changed, hasn't it? It's gone from Peter and the Jews to Paul who goes to the Jews and, and finally says, hey, I'm washing my hand. I'm taking this to the Gentiles. And God has made me that one out of due season and I'm, gonna, and I'm to go and take the gospel to the Gentiles. And in fact, God shows him and only him. That's what's amazing to me. The mystery of the church and how it was back in the Old Testament, but he couldn't see it. And, and lays it all out for him and then says, go teach it. Go share it. And you know what he did? You know what he did. He obeyed. <laughs> That's the hallmark of Paul. He said, man, I'd really like to be like Paul, the greatest Christian probably that ever lived. It's simple. Just obey. Because that's what made Paul, Paul, obedience. Even though you see some disobedience in there, and it costs him, but that's his homework. He obeys. When God says go, he goes. Because that's who he was before he got saved even. His heart was towards God. He just had the right motive, but not the right action. Now, you guys are here tonight on a Wednesday night when you could be at home clicking the channels to see, okay, who's winning now? I mean, if you want to drive yourself crazy, I didn't watch hardly any of it last night, and I'm not going to because it's probably not going to get done in a while. But regardless of who it is, this is who I care about. And I have to remind myself of that. In fact, Lisa's the one who several years ago said, man, why do you watch all the news on this. I said, well, because I want to know. You know, you guys know I was in the Marine Corps and in intelligence, and I, I want all the info, right? I want to know. She says, all it does is make you mad. I thought, whoa. Right. <laughs> it does make me mad because they're just stupid. And then I realized, oh, they're stupid because they're just like me. I'm going to quit watching them. And ask Lisa, I don't watch news at all. Now, I go find it sometimes. I'll go read. But I don't watch it. It's a waste of time I, it, for me. What you do is your business. 
But for me, it's just going to make me mad. I don't need to be mad. Not at people. I, I need to be mad at my own sin and my own disobedience. So here's the book of Acts, this great big canvas that most of your, your New Testament is laid out in, okay? And right here in chapter 20, something happens that doesn't happen anywhere else in the book of Acts. Unique. Let's take a look at it. Now, I'll just remind you, again, Paul is converted in Acts chapter 9. Here we are basically 10 chapters later um, in chapter 20. But if you just, and you don't have to look, but if you remember, excuse me, that in Acts chapter 18, he's in Corinth. Uh, he goes to Antioch, back to Antioch, really. Um, he meets some guys in chapter 19. If you look at that first part, it says, and it came to pass in chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 19, verse 1, and it came to pass that uh, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, I, I always love this verse. I don't know why, because it just sounds like something would happen today. Says, man, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now, the man part, that's me. But he says, hey, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. So he asked them, well, then who are you baptized unto? And they said, John's baptism, which was for the nation of Israel, okay, uh, back there with John the Baptist. It's not even Peter's baptism, to be honest. They're in Acts chapter 2. And so he lays out for them Jesus Christ. In fact, he says uh, in verse 4, it says, Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. And remember, that's what, that's what John the Baptist told them. Hey, there's one coming after me who was before me. I'm not even worthy to, to, to do the latches on his, on his shoes. He's coming, and that's who you need to be looking for. You know, he says there in verse 5 then, he says, When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So when they heard the good news, boom. Because these were people who were out here. They were disciples. They were spending. Again, their heart was in the right place, but they didn't have the right action. They hadn't heard. We, we, we don't even know that there is a Holy Ghost. What, what's that about? And he lays it out for them. They accept it, and bam, off they go. Now, what's interesting there is that at that point, look at verse uh, 6, then right after that. It says, When Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about 12. There were 12 disciples there. That's interesting. Verse 8, And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord. And, and that's what we are about, the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of heaven. That has to do with the nation of Israel and physical. Uh, it's more of a physical kingdom. Ours is a spiritual one, the kingdom of God, uh, which Jesus told them. And when they asked, hey, it's already coming to your hearts. It, that, that's this kingdom right here that we are building by winning people to Christ, right? By um, discipling them and building them up giving them opportunity to minister. Look at verse 9, though, of Acts 19. 
But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannius. And this continued by the space of two years, so that they all which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now, I'm not going to read this whole chapter, but, but what happens here? He, he's, he goes to Ephesus, and, and uh, of course, Ephesus. Anybody know what's, what's, what's really well known at this time in Ephesus? Diana. Not, not Fugate, okay? <laughs> the goddess Diana. And so he's preaching and teaching, and, and people are getting saved, and he's spending time teaching them all these things, living it. And, and this is the key. If you read through it, again, I'm not going to read but he's living this with them. He's living what he's teaching before them. And that's what really does the communicating, okay? That's the conversation. Conversation has to do with what does your life say. We always think of it in terms of what does my mouth say. And that's the way we use it nowadays. But what that word means, particularly in your Bible, is when it says conversation, is what your life says to others. And, and Paul's life said to others, man, this is awesome. This, this is a real God. Well, now wait a minute. <laughs> this is an Ephesus, you know. And all the uh, acolytes of, of uh, Diana, they're like, hey, man, this this is our town. This is Diana's town. This isn't this God's town. Diana, she's the queen of all of our, of our gods. Not this just one God. But people are getting saved still because they're seeing something they don't see in Diana, who's supposedly the most beautiful thing ever. They're seeing something that they can't get in all these other gods. And what happens? Well, all the people who make money by making the idols, okay, the physical idols to Diana, this is, this is cramping their style, okay? It's costing them money and lost revenues, and they get upset, and so they go to the city fathers, and they're like, hey, you know, these guys are over here doing all this, you know, talking down and saying that our gods aren't really gods. Boy, there's a mess. You talk about a hornet's nest, and it just, it, it's, it goes bad. Long story short, he ends up leaving. Now look at chapter 20, verse 1. It says, and after the uproar was ceased. The uproar, that's what happened in that city. So when people will live for the Lord Jesus Christ, not just talk about him, but live for him, it causes an uproar. An uproar. Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed uh, for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. And there abode three months. And, and when the Jews uh, laid wait for him as he was about to sail into uh, Syria, he proposed to return through Macedonia. Now, he's going through Asia. He's going through Asia Minor here. He's going through these places. All this stuff has happened over about a, a three-year time period. And so... Uh, he decides, let's see, let's go down here. Let's pick it up in verse 6. 
It says, when we sailed away from Philippi after the days of, of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And when the first day of the week, I'm sorry, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. That's a long message. Huh? And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And he talks about this, this young man who, who uh, you know, like some folks, get tired while they're in the midst of a, of a message. And he falls into a deep sleep. And he's up on the third story. And he falls out. And it kills him. But Paul goes over and he lays on him. And he says, hey, life is still in him. And boom, brings him back to life. And away he goes. Okay, now, pick it up, uh, verse 12. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. That's an old English way of saying, man, they were, they were really comforted. They were, they were really encouraged by what happened there. Verse 13, then at the paragraph marker. And we went before the ship and sailed unto Assos, there intending to take in Paul. For so he had, or had he appointed, minding himself to go afoot. And when he met with us at Assos, we took him in and came to uh, Mytilene, and we sailed thence, and came the next day over against uh, Chios, and, and the next day we arrived at Samos, and tarried at hmm, Troglinium, I think. And the next day we came to Miletus, for Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus, because he would not spend the time in Asia. For he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. So he wanted to go, if you remember back in here too, he said, I want to, I want to go to Jerusalem. And he really wants to be there um, for Pentecost. And, and, he said, and he says earlier uh, here a couple chapters ago that after that, then he wanted to go on to Rome. And we know over the rest of the, the book that those things happen uh, in terms of him ending up heading towards Rome, but in chains. Now, here's what, it, what is really interesting. Look at verse 17 at the paragraph marker. It says, and from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus. Remember, he went by there. He decided to sail past there this time. He didn't want to get in there and get entangled and all that uproar again. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia about three years ago, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Now stop. I know it's a comma. I want you to stop for a minute and just think about this. This is the unique spot I was talking about in the entire book of Acts. In the book of Acts, as I said, you see this emphasis on the Jews. And it becomes, by the end of the book, um, Paul uh, and the, the Greeks, the, the Gentiles. But the entire book, there are Jews present almost all the time. And he goes to and he's speaking to Jews in the synagogue or out on the street or, or where they gather in prayer houses and things like that. But notice right there in verse 17, who, who did he call and who is he talking to? Again, before he asks what it means, what does it say? What does it say? We don't have to interpret it. We just have to read it. Who's he, who's he going to be talking to here? Who'd he call? What's it say? 
elders of the church. The only time in the book of Acts that he, he's sitting down and, and only dealing with the church, where you see that specifically referenced, he is talking to the church in the midst of this whole thing. He's, there's this little spot here. Now, the whole thing, as you come through, he's winning people to Christ. Okay, who's the church? Christians, right? So are there Christians throughout the entire book of Acts, at least from, from uh, early on? Yes, okay. But as far as the specifics of what the Holy Spirit of God who wrote this does is he takes out a spot and a paragraph marker and shows us where Paul just sits down with the church for a minute. No Jews, just the church. And he's, and he's got something to say here, okay? And so he tells him, hey, verse 18, you know from the first day that I came into Asia after what manner I've been with you in all seasons, at all seasons. I want you to watch these three verses here in particular, 19, 20, and 21. It says, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Stop there for a second. We were talking earlier about that gut punch. <laughs> for the elders of the church, these are the leaders, okay? That's a gut punch. They're like, whoa. What? What? I mean, that last part, he says, uh, man, I'm going bound in the spirit under Jerusalem. And he's going to end up bound in the flesh, bound in chains. But he says, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. He just says, I don't know what's going to happen. But here's what I do know. Verse 23. Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Hey, here's, here's, here's my future. I don't know what's going to happen, but here's what I know. I'm going to go bound in the Spirit, and bonds and afflictions are going to be with me. Whoa. Wait a minute, Paul. That can't happen to you. You're Paul. Don't you know who you are? You know, what God's doing in you? You need to see what God's doing in you and see the big picture, Paul. Come on, get it. Get. No, man. He's, he's, he's instructing. And, and what you notice is they don't say those things. They're listening. They're paying attention because he's the one who has taught them everything. Okay? Now, keep going. Verse 24. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. See, this is all about the kingdom of God. This is about the bride of Christ. This is what, what we're in, the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of heaven. He's been teaching them the difference, and he's been teaching them all these things the church revealed. 
But now he tells a man, I'm going to go bound in the spirit. And, and I, the only thing I know for sure is that the Holy Ghost witnesses that in every city he's doing his job. And I'm going to be there doing what's called me. And I'm going to be in bonds and afflictions. It's not going to be, you know, a pleasure cruise, you know, with parties and feasting. And guess what? That's fine. This isn't about me. This isn't about my life. He says, you know, I count not my life dear. And then he tells him this. Look there at, the, at verse 25. He says, behold, I know that uh, ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. You're not going to see me anymore, guys. This is it. I don't know what's up. This is what I know. But I also know I'm, I'm not ever going to see you again. Now, this is a guy that's taught him everything. I remember the guy that taught me everything, I mean, when it comes to the Word of God. And all of a sudden, boom, he's out of my life. Wow. You know what you have to learn to do? Stand on your own two feet. Which means, stand on your knees with him. Now, now hey, you know what he's telling me? Hey, you can't lean on me. You're going to have to lean on the Lord. You're going to have to walk with him, okay? I know some of you, depending on who you voted for, uh, when they do figure out who actually won the election, you know, are going to be like, oh, no, oh, no, I, no matter which way. Guess what? You don't have to worry about that. You, you and I are supposed to be leaning on him, not on a government, Okay? Look at verse 26, wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He's like, man, I've given you the whole counsel of God. I've given you everything I've got. I haven't held, out, held back anything. You know what it is now? It's time for you to take that and invest. This is what we call discipleship, by the way. He's discipled them. He's taught them the Bible. He's taught them how to, how to um, study the Bible. Most importantly, he has taught them how to live the word of God, the whole counsel of God. He says, and guess what? I know we've been together for years and it's been great, but you're not going to see me anymore. You're going to have to depend on the one you can't see but lives in your heart. And that's the same message for you and I, by the way. Pick it up at the paragraph marker, verse 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. Okay, I'm telling you all this, but hey, listen, take heed, therefore. What's the therefore for? Because of what he's just talking about. Okay? Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock. How much of the flock? All the flock. Not just the popular folks or the people that you like or the ones that are really, you know, they're really getting it going, but also the ones that are struggling and the ones that aren't so popular and the ones that really irritate you, the ones that just constantly have a problem. To all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, because they're the elders, remember? To feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. 
also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Now, he's talking to them saying that. Not only are grievous wolves going to come in, but some of you are going to draw folks away and say, oh, you know, the way they're doing it isn't right. I will give you what you need. Verse 31. Therefore, watch. Now, there's a word you ought to study in your Bible, by the way. Watch. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. It wasn't a prosperity gospel, in other words. It wasn't a feel-good gospel, okay? It was a real-life gospel. He conversed with them in real life the things of the kingdom of God, and he discipled them, and he taught them, and he brought them up, and he put them in ministry, and now it's time to go to work. Verse 32, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. See, when you do those things, and this verse is packed. I could do a message just on that verse, okay? Look, look at everything in there. And now, brethren, I commend you to God, okay? This isn't about me. I'm, I'm commending you to God. You are God's, go get it. And to the word of his grace, not Paul's grace, not Paul's testimony, but to God's grace. I'm commending you to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. I taught you, but he's the one who builds you. See that difference? To build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. See, that sanctified, that purified, that's what every single one of us is supposed to be doing daily, is working on that sanctification, right? The purging out of what does not belong. Getting rid of those things, the idols, the attitudes. Replace the attitudes with the be attitudes, right? God replaces the idols. Love and passion replaces that frustration and anger. That's where the peace, you know, man, I wish God to give me that peace that passes understanding. We'll get rid of these things, and then there'll be room for that. But as long as you're holding on to all this, there's no room for that. And he's got it waiting for you <laughs> and you and me. Verse 33, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know what I find interesting? And, and some of you have heard me talk about this. My first few years as a Christian, man, I was, I, I saw great men of God and other great guys who were serving and knew the Bible, and I wanted that. You know what? That's a good thing to want to, to be like, to, to know the Word of God and to, to uh, be someone God can use. But it starts with a relationship 
not knowledge. It starts with knowing him at an intimate level, not just knowledge. What we like to do is we want to receive everything. I wish they'd teach me this. I wish they'd show me that. Well, you know what? If you come, you will learn. If you come, you can get that. If you ask the questions, you will get the answers in this church. Not that we have all the answers. But if you ask them, I'll guarantee you we'll look for them. We have a lot of those answers because we had the same questions ourselves. Okay? Now look at verse 36, the last paragraph here. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Now wait a second. Look at me before you read on. They know we're not going to sing anymore. He, he told us we're not going to sing. So they prayed together. They had this sweet time of prayer together, I'm sure. And now they're, they're falling, they're kissing, they're hugging him, they're loving. They're, okay, here we go. But I want you to look at this last verse. Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Here's what I want to share with you right here, and then we're going to look at an overview and get ready for next week. Paul's a great example of somebody that, that you would want to be like, right? And they're sorrowing, mostly because, see, look at verse 38, he says, Sorry most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. Say again? Yep. And that is sad. And that is sorrowful, and that's fine. But you know what? He gave them a charge, didn't he? That I've taught you these things. Here's what you need to do. And because he set the example, they loved him. Because, as he said, I'm pure before all men. I have worked my hands. It's all been before you. Everything has been right out here. Today we would have said, Paul was so transparent, right? I hate all those words. I don't disagree with what it means. I just, I just know that usually when it's used, it's not really meant. Here it was seen, it was lived. And if you and I say what? That's, that's right. Because it was lived out in front of them. They saw him. They saw everything. They saw that he lived what he was teaching. They saw that it was true. Now, they had an example. You and I have examples in our lives. And we're in a church where we get good examples. For us, we need to do the same thing. Okay? We need to be taking this charter, this challenge, and doing the same thing. You know what you see in this entire section here from verse 17 on in particular, where he's just talking to the elders of the church. It's, it's just to the church. Out of all these things going on, the Holy Spirit of God says, Look, let me just show you this one thing that happened here. There's a bunch of other times, but here, I want you to learn from this. Okay? Why did I say that? Well, how do you know he wanted us to learn it? Because he said every... Word of God is pure and is profitable, right, for doctrine, 
for reproof, for correction, right? For all these things, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Man, he gave them that example. Now, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to go do exactly what he did, right? So what are you and I supposed to do? Go do exactly what he did. And it starts, there's three major things that, that fall in here, okay, that encompass everything we're talking about, really. And he lays them out. Remember I said, pay attention to these, three, these next three verses. Anybody remember which three I, I, was, I said? Is verses 19, 20, and 21. And these three verses lay out these three things. And what we've been talking about tonight is exemplified really in verse 19, the first of those three things. He says, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and many tears. Remember, and he talks about later how he did those things with many tears with them. He says, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews. He was tempted, you know, the Jews, how did they lie and wait? They were trying, remember how the Jew, the Pharisees are always trying to trick Jesus with the questions they ask and how they ask. They wanted to catch him in his words so that they could accuse him. Do you think their modus operandi changed in just a few years, a, a decade or so here later? No, that's what they were doing. They were lying in wait to ambush him with the law. Now, I got to tell you, Paul was the guy who understood and had the law down like nobody else. If you go back and study him and who he was and how he came up as, as a Pharisee, you know, man, this, he knew all those things. So they're... God had well, he was well prepared because remember, he did all those things, including then later going after the church because he loved the Lord his God with all his heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. And he obeyed wherever it was, no matter, even when everybody else wouldn't and had to do it maliciously and in secret and hiding, not him. And that's the way he still lived why God met, met him and was able to work with him because here's somebody who's already got his heart where it belongs. I just need to show him the truth just like he did later in Acts chapter 19 with those folks who are like, well, we didn't even know there even was a, a Holy Spirit, you know? God imparted the truth to him and that's what he did. He went then imparting the truth to everywhere, everyone everywhere he went. He did exactly what God did to him. And so God showed him the truth Build him up. And so he went and he showed people the truth and taught them and built them up and discipled them and said, hey, now you go do the same thing. Now, his attitude of heart, like he says here in 19, serving. I want you to, there's just some words here to pay attention to. Serving. And you, you should study these, these words out. Study these things in the Bible. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind. And with many tears. Study that out, man. Tears. <laughs> Big thing to God. And temptations. What do you do with the temptations? 
What you do with all those, you know what that's called? Serving with humility of mind, with many tears, and how you respond to the temptations. You know what that's called? It's called proper worship. And before you do anything for God, and as you do anything for God, it has to be from a heart of worship. Because if it's not from a heart of worship, then it's not worship, number one, which means no matter what you're doing, it's tainted with you, with me. When I'm not worshiping while I'm doing what I'm doing, then I'm the fly in the ointment. I'm the problem because God wants me to worship. How? By obeying and sacrificing, but it, obedience. It starts with obedience. Well, I thought sacrifice was a thing. How are you going to sacrifice if you're not obeying? If you're not obeying, how do you know what to sacrifice, when to sacrifice, whether or not to sacrifice? You guys tracking? That verse 19 is all about worship. And if you study that out, serving with humility of mind, that all actually, when you start looking at the word worship and what it entails, that's what it's about right there. With tears and from a heart of compassion. What, what did God do? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. You think that was a joyous day? When that happened, man, it clenches my gut to think of. You realize that, that when Jesus was on the cross for me and you, and he was thinking of us, that he was separated from God for the first and only time in all of eternity. An unknown, if you will. But like Abraham, knowing, hey, I'm the latter going to go worship, and, and then we're coming back. He said, hey, you know what? I've never been separated. That, that's why he's in the garden saying, hey, if this cup could pass, let's let it, nevertheless, not my will, but thine. He didn't want to be separated from the Father. Is that how you live every day? Because that's how we should live. I don't want to be separated from the Father. Lord, whatever your will is, that's what I need to be. The reason, you know what, you know what happens when I'm separated from the Father? You know what that's called? You do know what it's called. It's called sin. <laughs> Anything that separates me from God that I allow to separate is sin. Right? We choose to allow that to happen. When the temptation comes, we don't always respond do it right, do we? I don't. Maybe you guys always do, but I don't. It's about worship. If I start my day out worshiping and I remind myself daily as I stumble and fall, I need to be worshiping. This isn't about me. This isn't about making the wrong choices. This isn't about what I want. God says, hey, if you want to do that, that I gave you free will. You do it. I still love you. You're still coming to heaven. Well, so it's okay? I didn't say it was okay. In fact, I said it wasn't okay. But you do what you want. It's your life. Live with the consequences. 
I've got something better for you, but you do what you want. You're the God of your life. What? No, God, you're the God of my life. Well, not when you choose that. Not when you react and make choices to do this when I've told you not to. Starting with what's right here and right here. These are connected. This. Replacing. Well, then, then I do a lot better job that decision-making because I'm serving him. That's my, my goal and my desire to serve him with humility of mind. Sometimes with many tears. You know why? Because the people I love fail. Because I fail. And that causes tears. I'm a truck driver. I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of miles I put on my trucks with tears flowing out of my heart and my gut because I'm stupid and make bad choices. Here and here. And I've allowed that separation, that thing to separate me from my Father. So I'm not worshiping there anymore. I'm doing what I want to because now I'm the God of my life. Hey, you're not the boss of me. I know. Unless you make me the boss of me. Right? Now next week we're going to look at the next two things there. Because verse 19 is about worship. There's three things that need to be present in our lives that we need to be about according to the Bible. The whole counsel of God as Paul talked about. Worship. If worship isn't the canvas, just like the book of Acts, if it isn't the canvas of everything in our life, then we're not worshiping. <laughs> you either are or you aren't. I either am or I am not. It starts there. When I'm worshiping, then you know what comes after that? He says, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, verse 20, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. You know what that is? Somebody tell me. You should know. I'll be honest. Discipling, it's discipleship, which is not just going through the 16 lessons, but that's the, that's the starting place, okay? It's life, just like him, living that surrendered, obedient life in front of others, stumbling and showing them, hey, this is, I made a bad choice here. I made a bad, I was, wasn't doing the right thing. Guess what? Here's what I saw right here in the Word of God that taught me, and I decided to obey, and wow, wow, how much better it is, right? Living life in front of folks. And then verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the third one, guys? Worship, discipleship, and what? Evangelism. I think you mentioned it earlier. Evangelism. Telling people about what God has done for you. Now, if, well, I don't really have any blessings right now. I don't really. Well, you know, that, that problem is not God's failure. That's our failure. Because God has blessings galore. So if that's not happening, don't look at God and don't look at others. Right? Look right here because that's where it is. Look right here and see, okay, what do I need to do? Because 
Notice it says testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greek. Testifying. You know what testifying is about? Say, oh, yeah, you get up and say, here's what God did. No, again, this is about your life. Testifying. What does your life say to others? Both the lost and also the saved. What does it say? Excuses are easy to come up with. Why I don't obey? Why I can't do this? Why can't? What if every time something came up, we were looking for a way to, to be involved in it, to do that, to serve with humility of mind, to, to do that? Why? Because I understand that discipleship is more than just 16 lessons. It's living my life in front of others like Paul did, letting them see God at work in my life. And when you do that, you know what happens naturally? I remember when we first started discipleship over 40 years ago. We were a small class. Discipleship we use right here came out of that. And as people got discipled and grew in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we encouraged each other to obey and to serve with humility of mind, you know what happened? People everywhere around us, at work, in the neighborhood, in the grocery store, literally in places like this, said, man, what happened to you? And so we testified and said, this is what happened to me. And we had an explosion because people got saved. They, it was like at Ephesus. They said it was an uproar, literally an uproar, because people were like, I want that, and I want to come hear about that, and I want to come learn about that. And what? what? Ask Steve Fleshman, Pastor Fleshman. He'll tell you. He was teaching, preaching in a church with two other guys or three, in a rotation. And you know what? He wasn't saved. He was a good person, and he loved God, and he was doing what he thought was the right thing. He'll tell you this. And then somebody had the courage and loved the Lord more than they loved embarrassment or confrontation. His name was Royal Slogenbush, a member of this church. And said, Steve, I love you, but you're not a Christian. You're not saved. You know what that did to Steve? Made him mad. Ask him. But you know what happened? He ended up driving around in the middle of the night trying to find out where he lived and figured out and knocked on his door and he said, hey, I got to get saved. And that's what happens when you worship and you do that, and you disciple and you learn, people will come and pound on your door and say, I got to get saved. You got to tell me what to do. Amen. Evangelism is the result of worship and building up that, edif that edifying the spiritual body. It happens organically, if you will, naturally. So ask ourselves, I ask myself, why, why is that not as prevalent? Well, you could say, well, we're at the end of the age and people are dull of hearing. Well, you know what? There is some truth to that. But you know what? It needs to be us saying, man, that's not good enough. Now I'm going to obey no matter what it costs me, no matter how much it hurts. I don't care 
if I have to quit having the best coffee, the one area that I support, you know, at least I'll tell you, I don't, I don't care about fancy anything or I really don't. I like to buy my clothes at like Ross and secondhand stores and that's me. But when it comes to coffee, I like to spend a little money because I really like coffee. But you know what? If I need to give that up, then fine. Not a problem. You just need to be willing to say, okay, let's do that. Next week we'll look at those things. I hope to see you then. All right, let's pray and, and we'll be out of here. Father, we just praise and thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. Father, we, 